morning. We uh, resume our look into the book of Jonah, and we'll be looking today at chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You may see. Then 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So we left off last week at the end of chapter 1. Jonah had been thrown from the ship that he had been on so that the storm would stop and the sailors would be saved. And when they threw him off the boat, sure enough, the storm stopped. And the end of chapter 1 says that the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the chapter ended saying that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now here in chapter 2, we see Jonah's activity while he's in timeout in the belly of the fish. And what's he doing? After being swallowed by a great fish, and we do believe this really happened, after being swallowed in the belly of the fish, it says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And really all, all I want to do with this first verse is to establish that Jonah is indeed in the fish's belly, having been swallowed by a God-commanded fish, and that swallowing was his salvation. And we'll look at that more today. And in that belly, in the belly of a great fish, golly, if we could just really engage that and think about that. Not, it's not a, a, a pattern for a nursery that people paint on their wall that was smiling well and Jonah's sitting there going, oh, no, no, this man is in the stomach of a fish. And what's he doing? He's praying. And he's praising. That sets the tone for us today. And he prays the following prayer. It, th this thing is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. We're going to read it in its entirety again. Verses 2 to 9. Watch this. He prayed saying, quote, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, y'all, that's really good. Jonah's downward journey, remember last week we said, God had said, arise and go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah had arisen and went down, 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 down to Joppa, down into a ship, down to the heart of the ship, down into a deep sleep. His downward journey here goes all the way down to the bottom of the sea, to the, quote, roots of the mountains. And the flow of the prayer shows that Jonah's prayer started before the fish swallowed him, and that's important. He's recounting here in the fish what had happened on his downward journey in the sea. He gets thrown overboard, and when he hits bottom, literally, he cries out to God. In the midst of his distress, out of the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead is what Sheol is, in that place he called out to the Lord. He says in verse 3 that God had cast him into the deep. Now that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Did God throw him in? A bunch of sailors threw him in, didn't they? Jonah says, it was you, God, that threw me in. And when God, through the sailors, did throw him in, Jonah descended into the heart of the seas. Anybody ever been in deep water and you start sinking? Frightening. Incredibly frightening. And here's Jonah somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. He's not in a kiddie pool somewhere. He's not, he's not in a swimming pool. He's in the Mediterranean Sea. Remember, he was headed west of Tarshish. And he's sinking. And when he did, he descended into the heart of the seas with the flood, the water surrounding him. All your waves, God, he says, all of your billows passed over me. And there in the miry depths, Jonah's thought was that he had been, quote, driven away from the sight of God. He felt alone and abandoned, destitute and hopeless. 
Others closed in over him to take his life. Jonah was about to die. He was at the point of death. Some people wonder if he really did die and God brought him back to life. I don't think he... He says, I was at the point of death. He was about to die. The deep surrounded him. Weeds were wrapped around his head. Very tangled in seaweed. Also frightening. Weeds are wrapped around his head at the roots of the mountains. And this is a picture of complete immersion into hopelessness. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Bye-bye, Jonah. Have a nice death. But wait. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Anybody ever watch wrestling back in the 80s? Remember Hulk Hogan? Looked like he was about to be beaten. And somebody hit him and he go. And they hit him again. And start shaking. Really? This is what I see with Jonah here. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. He's about to die. But no, no, no. He ain't dead yet. You brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. Jonah was at the point of death. He was at the point of last despair. And yet, God brought up Jonah's life from the pit. And Jonah recognizes who did it. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. You threw me overboard. You threw me into the sea. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord my God. God saved him. And he says that it was right before death that it came to his mind. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah's about to die. His last thoughts, his last words, and he cries out to God. Directly into the temple of God. Jonah recognizes that his voice was heard in God's holy temple. Not in Jerusalem, but in heaven. And here in his prayer of praise from the belly of the fish, he emphasizes the glory of the one true God by saying, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Which is Jonah's way of saying that if Jonah's God had been an idol, he would have had, he would have had to have forsaken his hope of steadfast love. But Jonah says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to God. He had said earlier in verse 4, which I skipped over on purpose, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He had hope because God is God. He had hope because God is able and was willing to save him. And then he reiterates that with verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. He now shows hope of not just surviving, but of serving God once this is all said and done. God has saved him, he knows, not just to have him die in a fish's belly. Now remember, he's in a fish's belly praying these things, praising God for these things. And God didn't have that fish swallow him just so he could die in that fish's belly. ever been in a situation where you wish God hadn't placed you? What did Jonah do in that situation? He cried out to God. Now that's uber important this morning. In his despair, at the point of death, he cried out to God. And then when he gets swallowed by a fish, he cried out to God. And, God, and Jonah knew that God had saved him not to be fish food, but to serve him in the future. Keep that in mind, church. And Jonah vows to pay his vows once all this is said and done. And then he tops it all off with the exclamation of, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you are saved, that's your heart cry, right? That God saved you. Only God could save you, and only God did save you. Not me and Jesus. God rest your soul, Thomas and Paul. But only God. 
salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah could not save himself. He was as good as dead. He was at the root of the mountains. Weeds were wrapped around his head. He was about to breathe in a big old breath of water and flood his lungs to the point that he couldn't breathe. And he cried out to God. And God spoke to a fish. And that fish went and swallowed Jonah to save him. And there in the belly of that fish, as he gasps for air, he's praising God. Only God could, and only God did. Jonah was as good as dead. It would take a miracle to save him, and that miracle came in the form of a fish gulp. And there in that fish, Jonah recounts that God's salvation reached him there at the very bottom of the world, in his lowest place at the very end of his life. And he worships God in the digestive tract of a big fish. There's a lot to think about there. I would really encourage you to read this and reread it this coming week, just this little prayer, verses 2 to 9. But I want to show you something pretty impressive about this prayer of praise of Jonah, prayer and praise of Jonah. I'm going to read verses 2 through 9 again, belaboring the point on purpose. This is Jonah's prayer. Now listen to it. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, in reading that and then looking and reading and listening as in preparation for this message, I, I, if, if you've never seen or heard of the Old Testament commentaries by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, look them up. I think they're public domain now. They're pretty much free anywhere you go. Uh, Bible Hub, I don't know, all these Bible sites that have commentaries on them. You can find the commentaries of Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They are classic Old Testament commentaries. They said this about this prayer. Now, there's going to be some <laughs> crazy words, and we'll break it down. Give me a second, okay? This is their quote. Jonah's prayer is partly descriptive and precatory, partly eucharistical. Jonah incorporates with his own language inspired utterances familiar to the church long before Jonah in Jonah 2.2, 2, Psalm 120, verse 1, is quoted. In Jonah 2.3, Psalm 42.7 is quoted. In Jonah 2.4, Psalm 31.22 is quoted. In Jonah 2.5, Psalm 69.1 is quoted. In Jonah 2.7, Psalm 142.3 is quoted. Also, Psalm 18.6. In Jonah 2.8, Psalm 31.6 is quoted. In Jonah 2.9, Psalm 116, verse 17, verse 18, and Psalm 3.8. They go on to say, Jonah, an inspired man, thus attests both the antiquity and inspiration of the Psalms. It marks the spirit of faith that Jonah identifies himself with the saints of old, approaching their experiences as recorded in the Word of God. Affliction opens up the mind of Scripture before seen only on the surface. I'm going to copy and paste that and put it on Facebook so you can look over that. But let me decode it for you just a bit. What they're saying is that there in the belly of the fish, Jonah, yes, cried out to God. But what did he cry out to God with? The word of God. Amen. His prayer is based almost exclusively from the Psalms. I'm going to read the references that they mentioned. I'm just going to read them in order. Uh, I won't 
bother you can see what verses there. And again, I'll, I'll put that up later so you can see. Watch this. Remember what we just read in, in Jonah 2, verses 2 through 9. I'm just going to go through these Psalms references. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. That's cool. That's pretty cool, y'all. Might be a good practice, you folks who do computer work or word processing. Copy and paste and put those things side by side. I was going to try to do it here, but it'd be so small, you couldn't see it, it'd be pointless. But if you put them side by side, you see that Jonah relied on the established songs of praise, the inspired songs of praise that the Israelites had used for decades, maybe even a century before Jonah. And he prayed those words back to God when he was at the lowest point of his life, about to die. His only hope was in God, and he expressed that hope through God's Word. And he took that Word of God to the God who would honor it, and he praised God with it. He had prayed for deliverance at his time of distress with God's Word, and now he praises God in the belly of the fish with that Word as well. Oh, Jonah, what a guy! What a good guy Jonah is, right? Wait a second. Let's go back to the first chapter and do a quick recap of what we learned about Jonah last week. From chapter 1, is Jonah a nice guy? Not so much from what we've seen so far. God told him to go to Nineveh, and he fled from the presence of the Lord to go to Tarshish. And why? Because he hates the Ninevites and doesn't want God to forgive them if they heed God's warning. Jonah is a racist rebel running from his God and from his calling. But now wait, what about this prayer in verses 2 through 9 of chapter 2? Is it genuine? It seems to be, right? He's not piously saying platitudes to appease God. He's scared to death. And in that moment of fear and doubt and shame and blame and regret and death, he starts praying the word of God back to God. This racist rebel. Is Jonah's prayer biblical? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It couldn't be more biblical. It's made up of almost direct quotes from 11 verses in the Psalms. Now, here's the question. Did God accept Jonah's prayer? It's in the inspired scriptures for us to read 3,000 years later. And Jonah is praising God for deliverance and salvation and help in a time of trouble. And it's really, really good. And up to that point, Jonah's been really, really bad. And that's important. Because it shows us, actually I'd say it screams at us, that God listens to the prayers of His people when they are in the midst of their worst times. And I'm not just talking about hard trying times, but even sinful, rebellious times. Now get that. Because the charge here is to go to God in the midst of your sins. Go to God in the midst of your rebellion. And what does God do? Put you in time out? Tell you to think about what you did? Uh -uh. No, no, no. No. 
when we come to God in our rebellion, when we come to God in the midst of our sin, He listens, He hears, He answers, and most and best of all, He is glorified by our coming to Him. Do you get that? I mean, do you get that? Because what's our normal mode of operation when we're sinning and we're like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. We kind of put our head over our, our hand over our eyes and kind of slink away from God. Because obviously he's upset with me. Obviously he's mad at me. Obviously I need to sit and think about what I've done and I need to feel real bad. Jonah wasn't in time out. God didn't tell him to sit there and think about what he'd done. We don't see Jonah even apologizing to God. We don't even see him confessing his sins here, and we should. He had said no to God. He had ran the opposite way that God had told him to go. He had been racist, plainly racist. He'd been selfish. He'd been lazy. He was asleep in the bottom of the boat while everybody was about to die. And there's probably like a hundred other things that was going on. And we don't see Jonah even apologizing to God. No, he gets thrown into the sea, sinks to the bottom, and as he's about to die, literally, he boldly, confidently, with the authority of the Word of God, calls out to God. God saves him by having a fish swallow him, and in the belly of the fish, Jonah praises God for his deliverance and grace. And it seems to me, with the inclusion of this in the Scriptures, that God is pleased. And of course we'll talk about this in application, but for now, just look at it in the heat of the moment. A high as heaven's prayer of praise from the belly of a fish from a rebellious prophet. Wow. So what's the next step for Jeremiah? Well, it's pretty... Spitiful. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this simple verse, but it's another one that I don't just want to nod at on the way by. Look at those words. And the Lord spoke to Jonah. It's all right, Jonah, I got you, bro. No, no, no. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Now, it's a great fish, but it's a fish. The lofty king of the universe speaks to a fish in the Mediterranean Sea. And he gives that fish a specific command. Puke. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to the fish. It's really mind-blowing if you stop and think about it. How much interaction does God have with fish? Snails. Leaves. Creeks. Lions. Mountain goats. Stars. And everything else in His creation. The scripture says He speaks to the stars and calls them by name. And when He speaks to these things, what do they do? No, I don't reckon I'm going to do that today, God. I don't feel like puking today, God. This fellow's going to have to sit another day or two until I work up the nerve. No. Mm. He speaks to these things and they do what he says. Wind, blow, sun, shine, tide, go out. And here God says, fish, puke. I don't know if that's a direct quote, but... <laughs> And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And Jonah goes back through the digestive tract in reverse this time, and lands on the dry land. After having spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Now, I don't know how many miracles are encased in all of this, but God's just showing off. And he can. Jonah should be dead. He should have drowned. He didn't. He should have been digested. He wasn't. Fish don't vomit people out normally. I guess. 
This one did. After three days and three nights. And I bet old Jonah was a sight to see and a scent to smell. You know what kind of acid fish's stomachs make? Hydrochloric acid. That's what breaks down their food. You ever mess with any hydrochloric acid? Don't. It'll hurt you. And Jonah's been sitting in it for three days and three nights. And I bet he was at least streaked with some white. This ancient Hebrew fellow who was probably somewhere between our color and black. Our color, I shouldn't say that. There's nobody that's not white here. I'm sorry. I really do apologize for that's all. Somewhere between Caucasian and black. And he comes out of the fish's belly. I'm sure he had some bleach spots on him. At least. He may have been bleached completely white. Now, but he stunk. You ever smell a fish? You ever smell a dead fish? You ever felt a, smell a fish's belly? Inside. Not, not like, not sniffing the scales. I'm talking about a stomach. No, you haven't, I hope. It stinks. And Jeremy comes out bleached white, smelling like a fish's stomach. We'll talk more about that next week. But if you'll remember, God has a message for Nineveh. And he has appointed Jonah to carry that message. And up to this point, Jonah said, no. What do you reckon Jonah's going to say now? He's going to go. If God's got to pick him up by the hair of the head and carry him to Nineveh, he's going to go. He's going to carry that message. After running, after a supernatural storm, after a nap in the ship in that storm, after a roll of the dice and a heave-ho over the side of the boat, leading to a trip to the bottom of the sea where he became fish food, after all that, Jonah is going to carry that message to Nineveh. God made sure of it. And we'll see what that looks like next week. For now, we turn our attention to first seeing what God did directly, like we did last week in chapter 1, and then the application in the second chapter of John. So, what did God do directly? What does is, what is chapter 2 say that God did directly? I'm just reading through. He answered Jonah. God answered Jonah. God heard Jonah's voice. God brought up Jonah's life from the pit. God saved Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This doesn't say it, but it's in there implicitly. God preserved Jonah alive in a fish's belly. God spoke to the fish. God made fish vomit Jonah up. God cast Jonah. God did those things. Not a vague feeling or an inclination that maybe God might be wanting this fish to vomit. Listen, if you talk about the voice of God that way, stop it. I think maybe God might be wanting me to possibly blank. Stop it. Quit it. That's vague and that's emotions based. I've got a piece about it. Did Jonah have a piece about being in the belly of the fish? Why do I say that? Because I hear it so pervasively amongst people who call themselves Christians. They're looking for a feeling that they should do what God told them to do. They're reasoning within themselves that I think maybe I might be able to figure this out if I think hard enough and do enough good things or right things. Then maybe I'll figure out what God might possibly, by chance, want me to maybe do. God answered Jonah. God heard Jonah's voice. God brought up Jonah's life from the pit. God saved Jonah. God preserved Jonah alive in the fish's belly. God spoke to the fish and God made the fish vomit Jonah up. It was God who cast Jonah into the deep. You said, but it's different now, right? It is different now. In our time, God doesn't speak directly to people. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. If you want to know what God wants to do, read your Bible. Amen. And he is clear. Now, what color toothbrush should you buy? I don't know. And there's no chapter or verse for that. 
And you don't have to think real hard or try real hard to maybe figure it out. Look at who God is. Look at what God has done directly in the scriptures and say, I'm going to act according to that. Not maybe, possibly, hopefully. I think maybe God might want me to pray. Yes, he wants you to pray. I think maybe God might want me to help people. Yes, he wants you to help people. I think I was maybe led to share the gospel with this person. Yes, you are. We know these things because of who God is and what God has done and shown us in his scriptures that were recorded over a period of 4,000 years and tell the same story over and over and over. This is who God is. This is what God has done. Now go out and do the same. That's not even an application point. That's free stuff there. It just frustrates me. I've been that person. I am that person more often than I should be. I think maybe possibly stop it. Three S's for application. Scripture, sin, and salvation. Now that's pretty easy, right? Scripture, sin, and salvation. That sounds like a gospel presentation, doesn't it? Exactly. What's the application for Scripture? Well, I just said some of it. Read the Word, know the Word, act according to the Word, pray the Word. That's not real complicated. But now let me ask you this. What's your reflex when you're in trouble? What's your reflex when you need help? What's your reflex when you don't know what to do? Try to figure it out. Maybe, hopefully, hope that something happens good that might give you direction. How about you go back to the Word? Like you done said that, I know. What's your reflex when you're in trouble? Jonah's reflex at the bottom of the sea, finally, I'll pray to God. And I'll pray God's Word to God. And that's exactly what he did. Listen. You all know this. I would say most of you know this. I don't know. I would guess all of you know this. God honors His Word. If God's Word says it, God's going to do it. And the Word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Now, I don't know what that means. We're not going to get into that today. Watch this. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What's God going to do? I don't know, but whatever he does is going to be according to his word. He's watching over his word to perform it. What's the word? I mean, God knows what the word said. He inspired it. He had people write it down. He breathed it out through his spirit so that people would write down exactly what God wanted to say. And he watches over what's been recorded to make sure that it happens. Psalm 138.2. Watch this. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you, God, have exalted above all things. Above all things. Your name and your word. If something is exalted above all things, it's probably pretty important to God. And if it's pretty important to God, you know what? It should be pretty important to us as people. Let me ask you this question. Have you exalted above all things in your life the name and the word of God? All things! You're going a little overboard with this Bible stuff, Jason. I can't. I can't go overboard with it. It's exalted above all things. The name of God and the word of God. How important is the word of God in your life? I'm just not really sticking to my reading plan. Just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I hope to get caught up. And I'm not talking about reading plan as the way to God, okay? But if God has exalted above all things His name and His word, I should do the same. You know, the Bible's just dull. I don't understand it. It's too hard. I 
Bible and say, God, help me to understand this. The Spirit of God who inspired those words will give you understanding. Not all at once. The Bible is a lifetime pursuit. Will you exalt it above all things along with the name of God? This is a familiar verse. God says, as this says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, propose, and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. If you look there, God says, when my word goes out from his mouth, and it has, it's not going to come back to him with, oh, well, that didn't work. It shall accomplish, the word of God shall accomplish that which God purposed. The word of God will succeed in the thing which God sent it out for. You talk about preaching the gospel with confidence? The gospel is the power of God and salvation? Well, I'm not very good at sharing it. Share the gospel. It's the power of God, and God's going to perform what you're saying. you got to know it. That should have been 10 and 11, by the way, as I'm looking at my notes. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I seek. How important are the scriptures how scripture-saturated are your prayers? That would be the two questions I would ask you as far as application for scripture. Now watch this. Sin. You are a sinner. So who are you talking to? Yes is the answer to that question. Everybody that I'm looking at, everybody that's hearing my voice here in this building, everybody that hears my voice over the internets, everybody that ever hears this message, you are a sinner. Now let me ask you a question. What are you going to do with your sin? Sit in time out and think about it? Till you feel bad enough in your opinion for God to be pleased with your level of guilt and shame? I gotta feel real bad so that God will be pleased with me. Listen, I've heard that crap most of my life. And it is crap, and I don't apologize for saying that. You are a sinner. disqualifies you from coming to God? Unbeliever or believer? Come to God in and with your sin. That's the application point for sin. What are you going to do with it? You want to carry it around so you can have a guilt complex and just... Oh, yeah, I'm just a bad person. I'm a jerk. I'm an idiot. I'm a dummy. No, stop that. That's the voice of the enemy. The voice of God says, come, watch this. Oh, this reference to John Piper. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3, and they're going to jump into the later verses in the psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, who's he talking to? Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And if you read Psalm 107, and I encourage you to, it's pretty long. I wanted want to read the whole thing, but it's, it's on the word. Who are redeemed? Watch this. Jump to verse 10. Some of the redeemed sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Oh, poor people. For they had rebelled against the words of God. And spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he 
bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Now back up for a second. Look at verse 10 again. Who did God do this for? Sorry, 11. Those who had rebelled against the words of God and had spurned the counsel of the Most High. They sinned. And in the midst of their sin, God worked on their behalf. Let me go back. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He's good. For a steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For... Why were they prisoners? Why were they afflicted? For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, in their sin. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. I'm about to say something. That could maybe get me in trouble. And I don't care. Your sin is an opportunity to worship God. Amen. Your sin is bad. Your sin is sinful. Your sin is an affront to a holy God. Your sin is spitting in God's face. And you bring it to Him. And you say, thank you God for forgiving me. Thank you God for saving me. Oh, that we would turn each and every sin into worship. God, I sin. I know. And you're forgiven. Thank you. It's just that simple. But we've got to get real complicated, right? And we've got to feel real bad for a real long time. And we've got to sit and think about it. And we've got to see what a jerk we really are. And then maybe we can mouse up to God and say, I'm sorry. And he goes, you ain't sorry enough. Go back in time out and think about it some more. That's not how this works, y'all. These books are out there on the bench. Free for anybody that wants to take one. And I am so thankful for this book. And y'all heard me say, some of y'all heard me talk about this before. When life takes a difficult turn, Christians often remind others with a shrug, his ways are not our ways. Communicating the mysteries of divine providence by which he orchestrates events in ways that surprise us. The mysterious depth of divine providence is, of course, a precious biblical truth. But the passage in which we find his ways are not our ways comes from Isaiah 55. And in context, it means something quite different. It's a statement not of the surprise of God's mysterious providence, but of the surprise of God's compassionate heart. The full passage goes like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Who? Who's returning to the Lord? The wicked. That he, the Lord, may have compassion on him, the wicked. And let him return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes up from my mouth. Sound familiar? It shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The first part of this passage, the book says, Dane Orland and General Mooley, tells us what to do. The second part tells us why. The transition comes toward the end of verse 7. 
which concludes, for he will abundantly pardon. But notice the exact line of reasoning. Almost done. I won't read much more of this. God calls us to seek him, to call on him, and invites even the wicked to return to the Lord. What will happen when we do this? God will, quote, verse 7, have compassion on us. The parallelism of Hebrew poetry then gives us another way of saying that God will exercise compassion toward me, quote, he will abundantly pardon. This is profound consolation for us as we find ourselves time and again wandering away from the Father, looking for soul calm anywhere but his embrace and instruction, returning to God in fresh contrition, however ashamed and disgusted with ourselves. He will not typically pardon. He will abundantly pardon. He does not merely accept us. He sweeps us up in his arms again. Because he's not like us. We don't pardon so well. We remember and we bring up and we, oh, we get hurt again. And God says, wicked man, come to me. And I will abundantly pardon you. Because I'm not like you. And that's not God being saved. He's just saying, you can't. You're wrecked by sin. I'm not. And why can he say that? Everything we sung about this morning, everything Lucas talked about this morning, because the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. So what are you going to do with your sin? Today gives us a, a perfect picture, I think, of God's odd deliverance. Jonah said, he answered me. Well, how did he answer you? He had a fish swallow. 
God had spent all of the Old Testament oddly delivering the Hebrews, the Israelites. Even before that, he saved his people through an ark. An, an ark. No, go build an ark. Make it this long, beaver wood, pitch and tar. Oh, okay. That's pretty weird. How about some plagues on the strongest kingdom in the world of the day, Egypt? Ten plagues. Those are a little weird. How about you walk through the Red, the Red Sea on dry land? That's pretty weird. How about when you get to Jericho, I just crush the city walls from the top down? That's pretty weird. Go to the New Testament. Jesus says, uh, I'm going to make some mud with my spit. I'm going to put it on your eyes and you're going to be able to see. Peter's in jail and an angel comes up and says, get out, Pete. We've got to get out of here. It's time to go. God's salvation looks weird. And sometimes when he saves you out of your situation, it may not be according to what you think, what you want, what you desire. But God's salvation is better than your wants and your desires. I don't want to be swallowed by a fish. Sometimes God answers our prayers not in the way that we want him to. God, purify me. So he sends hardship and persecution. Alistair Beck said that the belly of the whale, the great fish, belly of the great fish, is not a great place to live, but it's a great place to learn. John Piper said, we must get out of our heads the all or nothing prayer. Write that down if you're taking notes. We must get out of our heads the all or nothing prayer. God's deliverance, God's salvation from times of trouble is so often odd, weird, and progressive. Jonah could not have imagined how God would save him. And that fish was not judgment. It was not punishment. It was redemption and salvation. God's odd deliverance. You want to know the oddest way that God ever delivered anybody? God came as a man. Lived a perfect life hung on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By how? Sending His own Son, God in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's odd. That's weird. That's what God does. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of fish. May we do the same today. Let's pray. As for this God, Father, we proclaim that your way is perfect and odd. Thank you for your word who tells us who you are, who tells us what you've done, the word that tells us, God, how you have performed your mighty acts in the past and how you will continue to honor your name and your word above all things. God, thank you that our sin is an opportunity to worship you. And we are all sinners and we all need salvation and you have provided that salvation through the life, death, burial, resurrection, appearances, ascension, and glorification of Jesus Christ. And may we place our faith in his finished work as a means of our once and for all salvation, our daily salvation, and our ultimate salvation. We need you, and you have made yourself available. You love to abundantly pardon. You love to show us compassion, even in the midst of our sin. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive the benediction.
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Stay in the